Hi everyone and welcome to PMQT, Project Manager's Question Time. In each episode we talk to our guests about their career journey and their personal experience of being a project manager. As our listeners are likely to be double busy project managers themselves, we aim to keep our episodes bite-sized, short and sharp. Project Manager's Question Time is sponsored by Trooper, the software toolkit for busy professional project managers. Welcome back everybody. Today we're delighted to welcome Simon Tidd to the podcast. So Simon is Head of Projects and Business Intelligence at HealthSpan, who of course are a well-known supplier of health supplements uh, in the UK and further afield. Welcome to the podcast, Simon. It's really nice to be here, Tim. So looking at your LinkedIn profile, it's clear you've had quite an interesting career path. So tell us a little bit about that path, which I believe started in the military, uh, and how and when you got into project management. Okay, sure. Um, I actually started in finance immediately after university, but only for a really short period of time before, as you say, I decided to join the British Army. Um, I joined the Royal Tank Regiment and I served in a mix of combat and junior staff roles. By staff read like management and planning roles um, for about seven years. I left the army in 2009 to go to work at business school and study for an MBA. At the time, lots of my colleagues were advising against it because it was the financial crisis. Of course, yes, quite that's secure, right. But I, yeah. but, I, but I felt it was the right decision for me at the time. I left with an MBA to join a management consultancy firm that specialised in strategic transformation projects, principally in the private sector. Still a really good firm called Curzon & Company. They're an excellent consultancy firm. Uh, I had a brief foray working with the Royal Family during the year of the Diamond Jubilee in the London Olympics before I then went kind of independent as a project manager. So I was a consultant contractor. I did some work with local government in Warwickshire. And then I came back to the island to join a firm called C5, um, which is still in, uh, around today. Yep. I think I was the first single project manager they had in Guernsey within their dedicated team. And over the next few years, I built, which was at the time, one of the largest teams of project managers and BAs, which was serving the well-established market in the island for change and project management services. I then moved on to wider roles within C5 before leaving both C5 and the island to join my now wife in Lebanon. So in 2019, I moved out there to help her with an NGO. So the setup and establishment of that. We both left Lebanon back for Guernsey only almost a year later um, because of three reasons, really. So there was COVID. Right, yes. We thought it'd be better to be here than there. The birth of our son, she was pregnant. We had had him in June 2020. Um, And the deteriorating situation in Lebanon, which if anyone follows, still continues. It's just in a terrible state both politically and economically yeah. only worsened in fact by the israel gaza stuff which is going so all good reasons to, to all good reasons here, to yeah. be here not there um since then i've worked again as an independent contractor in projects and program management work but in the finance industry and utility firms um, running regulation projects within finance sector mm-hmm. um, organizations before eventually ending up at healthspan where i am today in, in terms of like how does projects run through that I guess the army, although they would describe them as operations, everyone's heard of military operations, it's actually a projectized organization. So military operations are projects. A set of projects, right. They would fit the definition of either the the PMI or the APM's temporary endeavor to achieve something. So projects have been part of my career since the very beginning um, and have played a consistent theme throughout. I've always been on the edge of trying to solve problems and affect change 
Yeah. I mean, almost everything is a project, isn't it? It just depends on the on the scale, yeah, really. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. We could go into the dictionary yeah, the definition detail, the definitions. But, <laughs> but, but yeah, but projects yeah. has been something I've been a part of. I guess, though, I was only aware of the sort of military doctrine surrounding it until I left for business school. And it was only after that and I joined Curzon and Company that I became more aware of the, the civilian kind of project context and the and the qualifications that surround it right. and the frameworks that surround it. You know. Okay. We'll come back to that a little bit later on, won't we? A little bit about yeah, uh, the, 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 the differences. But um, there was one one uh, uh, job title uh, on your LinkedIn profile which really stood out to me, which was Program Manager and Equerry. Yeah. That was the royal family. Yeah, yeah. So um, uh, the the program manager is almost like the um, the civilian interpretation of it. They're actually slightly different. So the pro- program manager bit was about planning the program right. for it was actually for the royal highnesses the duke and duchess of gloucester who are now i don't know uh, getting on a bit we're looking to wind down their public engagement program um and so the program management bit was about planning their engagements working out when they were going with whom where doing the reconnaissances reconnaissance yeah. to, uh, doing the security um and there were People who've actually worked locally, uh, Hannah Lovell, who works with me at Hellspan, was also part of that wow. particular ha- household. The ECRI bit is the is the attendant bit. It's the going with them bit. Ah, okay. Uh, you know, it has its history in ECRI. I think we refer to the person who looked after their horses. Ah, right, right? yeah, but, as an equestrian. Yeah, but in now it would be equivalent to a lady-in-waiting. It's somebody who's with... Uh, a member of the royal household right. and it's the person most, most of my job consisted of looking at my yeah. watch and nervously <laughs> worrying whether we were going to make the next appointment uh, that we had to do it must have been fascinating uh, it was really fascinating really fascinating and it was you know, it was a specific temporary role for that period of time because yeah. that, that year because it was so heated and it was yeah it was lovely great so um, tell us a little bit more about your current role at Healthspan then okay so my role at Hellspan, as you as you said in your intro, is divided into two parts. I wear two hats. One is uh, as the head of a really capable um, business intelligence team. So they're responsible for providing almost real-time insight um, and reporting over our broad business operations. You said globally, um, you know, we are one of the largest direct-to-consumer suppliers of vitamins, minerals, and supplements in the UK. We're a sports nutrition provider to many of you know the Premiership football teams. Yeah. The All Blacks uh, and the All Blacks. Yeah, so yeah with a nutrition pr- uh, provider to the All Blacks. So my team is responsible for all the processing of the data and the reporting and insight that kind of comes off that. Um, so that's one hat, um, and then the other is as the head of projects. So okay. uh, this isn't really a, a project management role specifically. In fact, as it. I elaborate on it, it becomes clear I shouldn't really manage the projects because I, I shouldn't really be overseeing mark, them. <laughs> mark my own homework. But it's it's equivalent to a portfolio role or if you people who are familiar with it, the PMO yeah. role. So I run the office that looks after the project portfolio, determines what governance projects go through, what's the appropriate approach and context, right. tries to report on the progress of exactly in your sweet spot. Right, yeah, yeah, that's true, right. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's what that role is about. I mean, I do end up sometimes managing some projects still, but but really my role on career development is taking me away from directly doing that. So, so in, in all of these sort of um, different parts of your career, uh, there must be some sort of common frameworks uh, that you've used and... What what are those and where have they come from? Yeah, so the the application of methodology and framework 
to I guess the art and science of projects and change is a really complex and, and deep subject but I think there could be a fixation on a specific framework or methodology yeah. there's often a lot of misinterpretation around what the true meaning of those things are as well so you'll hear the I would call life cycle of waterfall kind yeah. of critiqued against the life cycle of agile or iterative um, really I think the principles are what's really important and, and even when you say you're doing a project in an agile fashion you still need to be hitting the basis of are you managing scope exactly you know, how are you managing change yeah uh, how are you managing schedule budget so to me it's about those principles and your ability to apply the right principle to the right context often a framework that's called out is, is prince two right everyone it's, it's one of the most commonly known you know it, it has its roots in government procurement and, and project management and actually stands for and I don't, i'm sure the people who have the qualification will know it's mm. projects in controlled environments right <clears throat> and so i'd say it's extremely applicable for controlled environments the the problem with its the usual application of it is it doesn't uh, abide by its own principles so when I studied for it, and, I, and I, I, I'm lapsed, so I don't know if it's changed, the seventh principle was, was tailoring. Right. And, and so that was to take you know, what Prince 2 says you should do, and I still think it's probably the best framework for describing the, what you should do or the basis you should hit, but you should tailor it. And the same applies to any other framework that's come since. You know, I, I've since qualified in with the PMI, the Project Management Institute in the US, the APM in the UK. I've done Scrum Master qualifications. I've become a SAFE practitioner, which is a scaled Agile framework. But really, then during the, the principles remain the same, right? Um, yeah. So I, I, I don't like to get fixated on it, and I would say any organisation should choose the one that's a, most appropriate yeah. to them. Uh, I, mean, I, I totally agree with you. It's very much horses for courses. You choose the best bits and what's applicable. And like you say, in your governance role, Part of that may be to say, okay, this project is of a certain size and risk, and therefore we are going to apply, apply these controls, uh, which will be different to a very large project, which is much bigger, much more risky, etc. So horses for courses, right? You don't, don't want to overburden the, the project manager. That's exactly right, and that's exactly yeah. what part of my role is. I mean, the, the one thing I that frustrates me more than anything else is when people could just copy and paste you know, their approach to risk management yeah. or, or something from some template that they've seen. And, and when I quiz them on it, are you really going to do it like that? And, and um, they, the answer is no. You need engagement with the thought about the principle, right? You need to think about how you are actually going to do it. In think context. about it up front, say what you're going to do, and then do it. Yeah. yeah. But don't promise to do things you're not going to do, which are appropriate. So um, in your time when you were uh, doing more hands-on project management, I guess, what, what generally do you think is the biggest challenge about being a project manager? I think... I think scope management, if I was to put like a knowledge area, <laughs> it's definitely, it was a PMI one. Um, scope managing, management and its reciprocal consideration in both quality and change. So helping customers, users, you know, the business understand and articulate their actual requirements at the levels needed and test against those requirements on any solution plus deal with change, which often goes wrong as a result of not having done the, the, the first things well enough. 
I think is the biggest cause, single cause I've seen of project failure. Um, so there's many contributing factors about how you've communicated and engaged, but but really the how you are managing the scope and the requirements that sit behind that scope, how you're finding out about them, eliciting them, which is which is business analysis yes, really. It's yes, that whole right. domain has grown up there. Um, that to me, and then testing against it so that you don't end up at the end going, well, it's it's not what we thought it was. Or, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> or, and having the ability to deal with like emergent requirements often, and that's where Agile came from, really, is that when you're doing things that have a high degree of complexity and uncertainty, like software, often people don't know what they want until they see it and begin to play with it. And so you, you can't just define it all up front. Yeah, exactly. That's an example, I think, where you would do some sort of Agile mini project up front. Um, so you've got some sort of basis uh, and common language, if you like, that you can talk to the to the users about requirements. And sometimes, you know, the, the users find it difficult to envisage what is this thing actually going to look like. Um, so yeah, absolutely with with you on that one. Maybe divide it up into some sort of discovery project, and then move into a sort of pure waterfall. Potentially, I think it's really horses for courses context, and you can you can mix. That's why I don't like the the term agile by itself. The the waterfall, the contrasting life cycle, is iterative, right? But people often call it uh, agile. Yeah. But you can have a hybrid, and as you say, you can have you know one phase that's done, or one work stream that's done one way or other. A waterfall is good for for fairly predictable kind of project context or phases and scope. But I like what you said about um, what I would call fundamentals. Right, No matter what process or, or, or approach you're using, there are just things like risk management and issue management and budget management. Mm. And They're just fundamental regardless. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And even if, you know, the way that you're doing them is so baked into the DNA of your organisation, you don't need to talk about it. That's fine. But you need to know that that needs to be covered off, right? Yeah. Um, how you're organization and in a project whether that's a temporary one or and what the wider organizational context it sits within how is it going to deal with both the management of risks think and this is another thing that that i particular about is is the difference between a risk and an issue yeah, you know? yeah. risks things that haven't happened yet but you know are you even thinking about them and how, how are you thinking about them and issues things that have happened how are you going to deal with that? And you need to think about that up front rather than deal with the chaos that ensues if you <laughs> haven't. <laughs> that's, right, that's right. Just coming back a little, I'm interested um, if if you think there are any differences um, managing a project inside a military context versus a civilian one? I think there are. I think it's quite a few differences. So, uh, and... Uh, but I think the answer would probably depend if you were talking about things that the the military probably formally labels projects, which usually yeah. sit in the kind of procurement space, right. you know, the, yeah. the, the the project to procure a new tank or aircraft carrier or something, versus my w- wider inclusion of the things that the military tend to do on on what they would call operations. I think business cases like very different, um, you know. Investment appraisal uh, and tolerance for risk is very different in a military context, and it's interesting that I, the immediate intuition might be, well, they've got a really high tolerance for risk, but I think they do in some areas. So obviously, on military operations, you're talking yeah. about risk of potential loss of life, but in other areas, they might be extremely conservative. You know, in terms of uh, they're not going to take huge risks with backbone IT infrastructure or the because the their risk tolerance will be quite low yeah. um, for the success of that stuff. Um, I think 
in the team and organizational space, the leadership, communication and alignment is quite different. Generally within a military context, you tend to have very high organizational alignment. There's the values and standards are kind of baked yeah. into the, the, the people you don't have. You do have diversity, but there is strong alignment. Um, there's lots of standard operating procedures, a huge focus on standing operating procedures. So you often really can be sure about what the team is, how they're going to act, what they're capable of, etc. Um, and I guess the last one would be about objectives and, and method or approach. So the military, it, people would kind of think that it's very top-down. Yeah, hierarchical. You, know, you do what yeah. you do what you're told to do but actually in a military context it's really often not so and it, it's the best organization i've seen it and i'll i'll use the military term which is mission command um which is that they're good at expressing intent and providing coordinating kind of instructions where needed but often everyone's acutely aware that when stuff happens in a military context often the plan goes to yeah. you know there's famous it doesn't survive uh, contact with the enemy exactly right? so, yes. so in the absence of and dealing with the situation, you need to to decentralise the decision making and authority to deal with the situation that people at the coalface find themselves in, and the military is really good at that. And it does it through a combination of the the, the communication of intent, yes. so people know right well the the commander's intent two up is take that hill, and thus whether my plan was to go left or right around this building or not, the intent is take the hill. If I can't do that this way, I need to do it a different way. Um, and and then the other uh, is the application of of doctrine and SOPs. So extremely well practiced on doing the particular thing. So whether it's I don't know house entry or something, that they're right. really well practiced on that stuff. So that when they come to do something, nobody's unsure about what to do in the in. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So the SOPs is that a standard operating. Sorry, yes, yeah. standard operating procedures, yeah. yeah, which on all of those points, and perhaps I didn't call out the differences in the civilian world, I think they are quite different in the, right, in, right. In the civilian world. Um, funny if you sort of preempted one of my sort of uh, questions, really, because did you, did you say, did you call them mission control? Is that old? Mission command. Mission command. So I was going to ask a question about that comparison, really, because um, I was thinking about, well, you know, in, in, in uh, civilian life, you have like a, st- a steering committee, uh, and yet, um, I was thought of the the military as as very hierarchical, as I said. But in effect, what you've just described to me <laughs> is a bit like a steering committee. You know, they don't necessarily worry how you've done it; they're only interested in in the outcome. So that's how I would relate to to you know you know what you what you've um, what you described there. It's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, there's a really deeply established doctrine within the military about how to deal with all that kind of coordinating factors about who's. Uh, on your like borders left and right who's got control of what who needs to you know uh, communicate what to whom and how and they will be very well rehearsed but that rehearsal will not be top down that will be the command structure of the organization getting together as a team to decide how they would approach a particular problem but then once that intent will be communicated downwards and actually the 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 military is also really good at uh, um providing warning orders which is a really weird thing which other organizers don't do they will communicate really early the possible intent to do something to allow subordinate organizations to begin thinking about it all right yeah that's pretty good 
Yeah, that's really interesting. That's fascinating. Um, so throughout your career, what's the favourite project that you've worked on? So I was certain listening to some of your previous podcasts, you know, with Matt Warren, that you were <laughs> going to ask this. It's really hard to say because there are lots that stand out. I think some of my time in the Royal Household had some really interesting kind of context projects. There are some where the outcomes have really been stood out or the team has really stood out. I think recency matters a lot. (laughs) So if I think of the things that I've worked on most recently, they stand out to me because they're um, front and centre in my mind. A project that actually I did have to um, manage directly at HealthSpan recently has been to implement a forecasting and supply planning system um, that looks across demand across all of our channels, countries, customers, uh, items, and using historical data algorithmically predicts what our demand is likely to be and then allows for the commercial overlay on top of that. And then on that consensus demand plan works out supply planning of what you need to order when across your bill of materials on any given product whether it be from raw material upwards to bulk product and packaged product and the lead times and minimum order quantities in between is it's just been fascinating Um, both because the technology it's based on is is really interesting um, but also the breadth of stakeholder engagement across the demand demand planning teams and commercial teams the supply planning teams um, and it's such a an important of our business because mm-hmm. being out of stock is a real is a real problem I can imagine it's interesting that you think about some um, your favorite project and uh, uh, sometimes they can be your favorite project in retrospect so they can be a complete nightmare <laughs> when you're in the midst of the storm uh, and only when you look back you think oh, I'm quite proud of the, the work we did there but it wasn't a lot of fun I, when it was happening. I couldn't agree with you more everyone yeah. talks about rose tinted glasses don't they yeah. and, and actually some of the most you know hard times in anybody's life like you that's why people do things like you know iron man's and (laughs) it's hard at the time but after the fact you you get an immense satisfaction from it yeah so um what does the the future hold for for you and the organization so there's a a whole heap of interesting projects that are in healthspan's potential portfolio for next year they include an extension of that that tool that i talked about which looks at bottom-up demand planning based upon data against top-down financial planning and analysis you know this is what the forecast says but we actually want to get here and what's the gap in between so there's specific projects that stand out for me I think and within HealthSpan in my head of projects role it's about the maturity of the organization in conducting projects a lot of the people who do projects are we call them sort of side of desk project managers. You know, it's something they do alongside uh, their, yes, their yes. business. Very as common usual. these days, isn't it? Yeah. Really common. Yeah. Well, I think it always probably was. Yeah. Um, but it, it's unfair to expect them to be able to deal with those principles that we talked about in the, at the same level as somebody who's been doing it f- for, for years. But it's important that over time that we begin to obtain some sort of maturity in the application of those principles, yeah. and and perhaps the visibility and transparency of their their application. Um, and then also outside of, of that, there's my family and stuff. But the, the APM, the Association for Project Management, I mean, I, it would be remiss of me to not call out. I'm a committee member for the Channel Islands branch. Yeah. We have a branch that sits across both Just islands. been created. Just, Just been created, yeah. literally launched you know, a couple of months ago. Um, and there's actually a Jersey launch event in February, um, first week of February next year. Um, uh, lots of people will know 
Ed Mason Smith, who's yeah. the who's the current chair of the local branch, but there's loads of uh, local members, and w- we're looking at that maturity kind of development path, but for the Channel Islands as a whole, you know, trying mm. to both raise understanding and awareness of the industry and the skills involved, and also the skills and experience of the people pr- practicing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that really is great news, and uh, uh, thank you to all the committee members who have made that a reality, really. I, I understand it's like the first new branch in the APM for many, many years, so well done to all of you. Thank you. So, Simon, it's been great having you on the, on the podcast. Um, it's a fascinating story, such a varied, a varied career, so thanks very much for taking the time uh, to speak to us today. It was a pleasure, Tim. Anytime. Always good to talk to you. Thanks very much.